Welcome to yet another episode of Gender Equality Talks or GE Talks in the lead up to the International Conference of, on Family Planning taking place this month in Pattaya, Thailand. We are indeed privileged to have with us today Sonal Mehta, the South Asia Regional Director for International Planned Parenthood Federation or IPPF as it is called. Sonal is a long-standing and widely respected advocate for gender equality and human rights. Welcome Sonal and thanks for finding time for us today. Thank you. Sonal, Sonal can you share with us the progress made on family planning and broadly on gender equality and human rights in the South Asia region? Sure. So I'm going to talk from my life experience and my professional experience. And um, I think that there has been some progress. I would not say there has been no progress on, on gender equality and human rights and also in family planning. However, I think we have a long way to go before we are able to achieve the SDG goals of 2030. Um, I think South Asia is a combination of countries um, where we have um, some very progressive rules, regulations, supportive of human rights, supportive of um, gender equality. And then we have some traditional values, systems, cultures that, that stop it. We also have some countries with extreme, whatever you want to call right, left, center views, where uh, which restrict freedom of women in many ways. Again, COVID-19 did not help at all. <laughs> um, there's also a lot of intimate partner violence. I think a report of UNICEF said about 37% of South Asian women experience intimate partner violence. And these are the issues that we don't talk about enough. Um, we are not even talking about the diversity within women, within people, within gender norms. Um, and then family planning has traditionally been looked from a lens of population control. And therefore, it could not really break the shackles. Although I must say, many governments have realized the fertility rate has kind of come to a replacement level and have started thinking differently. But again, they go from one extreme to the other, making all the fam pushing all the family planning products and services, and then suddenly go to the other extreme of completely taking away everything. And so I would think it has never been looked from the gender equity angle. And I think that is necessary, which I think is work in progress as of now. Yes. And so uh, can you quote some best practice examples, some countries which have uh, really made progress on this front? And sure. also about family planning, as you said rightly, that it is basically linked to uh, controlling the family or the number of children. And also, sure. do you think even that onus has fallen more on the women, women. rather than the men? <laughs> Correct. Um, so you can start by seeing the uh, research and development in contraceptives. You can start by seeing the, the setup. Our health system is set up. I can get pregnant, deliver a child, and that's it. Forget about my health, my uh, well-being. Um, again, new issues like, not new, but issues like STIs, uh, sexually transmitted infections, um, HIV. Um, um, as I said, that family planning within diverse couples. 
those things are not even thought about, not even talked about. Although I would say there are many um, good practices, I, I won't call it best practices, but um, there are countries such as Nepal, for example, has quite liberal um, laws, services. Um, there's a lot of task sharing where the access to basic family planning services is available to a remote uh, villages through through the uh, ANMs um, such as implants. India has good abortion laws, um, quite supportive environment. I won't say completely, but um, um, very skillful uh, providers. Um, and Pakistan, for example, has um, very good service, although they don't call it abortion, whatever way they call it, but the services are available. Um, but the level of, again, the lens is more from population control, population support. If the lens is changed to broader sexual reproductive health, to people-centered approach, I think the scenario can change very quickly. If I'm allowed to decide if I want a child, if I want an abortion, if I want a contraceptive, I think my decision will be my responsibility rather than government telling me do this and do that. And I think that shift needs to be brought. And that um, I'm not sure many countries really think from that angle. And one of the important thing I think there is also how much we spend on health overall and more in the family planning. Some of the countries have no budget for contraceptives, for example. That is a little too extreme. Uh, can you elaborate on the progress and challenges in the context of? Now, I have three different contexts to put forward to you. Uh -huh. First is a young people and sexual and reproductive health and rights. Second is older persons and sexual health and rights. That seems to be very neglected. Mm -hmm. And uh, disability rights and sexual and reproductive health rights. Sure. Young person, my favorite topic. I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> so apparently, I think right now we have the largest population of young people in the world, right? Before any time earlier. Um, in, if we put Asia Pacific, I think we have about a billion people, 10 to 24 age, um, with a lot of diversity, uh, with a lot of um, they have mind of their own. They have um, kind of the sense of independence they have is very different from what it used to be. Nonetheless, um, I think UNESCO, UNFPA, WH, all of them feel various reports keep coming out saying that probably young people are not well prepared. They are ill prepared and with insufficient knowledge, insufficient life skill to negotiate safe consensual relationships. We, we hear about cyberbullying, we hear about peer pressure. Um, they are not necessarily access, they don't have access to services and commodities for safe sex, for example. They don't have, some of the government are still thinking in a very, traditional way and access to even simple comprehensive sexuality education is not there. And that can create a very crooked situation where on one hand, there would be an information boom. On the other hand, there will not be a um, kind of, you know, what they need. So there are progress and, and, and don't read me wrong. I think um, uh, child marriages uh, have gone down in South Asia drastically. I think over the last two decades, it, it has really um, 
gone down to I think 50% or something. But some of the countries again have the highest um, adolescent fertility. So it's as I said, the South Asia Asia as such is a mix of a lot of opposing um, uh, thoughts. And and one of the thing I would really sincerely want that we really need comprehensive sexuality education, but that is not enough. Young people need to be in the driving seat. We need to really provide opportunities and occasions for them, create platforms where they can speak up, they feel confident enough to share about themselves and can access services. If I'm a 16-year-old, I can step into a health setup without being feared, without being tabooed and ask for a contraceptive. I think that day, we will be able to ask for HIV test without any adult consent. You know, even basic services are not available. And, and so awareness on one hand and services on the other can really bring about a lot of change. Um, otherwise, so it's, it's interesting. Young people can become great asset. They can become a population problem if we are not able to provide them the right opportunities. So that would, I would say about SRHR among young people. For the older people, again, <laughs> Asia Pacific is a region where we have countries who are really getting old very quickly, Japan, for example. And again, our health system is more or less made for kind of middle age, where the reproductive and, and, and child focused, a lot of it is child focused, mother and child, I would say. I, I don't want to say woman and child because women's health is also often neglected. So for, um, again, um, all the data shows that um, men and women both remain sexually active um, for whatever people want to call it um, old, 60. Um, I, I mean, now we say 70 is a new 50. So if we do that, then maybe middle age. Um, and you also, uh, there's also there are also reports where say, uh, people say that about 28 to 30%, I think 39%, um, older men and women report at least one sexual dysfunction. And, and that can lead to frustration. And we neither have, um, enough counseling services, nor um, sexuality education, information, uh, awareness services, nor um, enough counseling. And I won't say that it's not there, it's there. Partner communication and partner relationship and all that. And I think that, um, and, and again, there is an assumption, partner is also always in the marriage. That is also now an, an old concept. So there is a lot of changing dynamics among older people, so-called older people. And when I say older, I often mean above 60 because that's the UN population definition. Although I'm going to be near that very soon and I don't feel older at all. <laughs> so um, that is also something like we need to change definition of young people, we need to change definition of old people. Um, again, I would say, um, there are no rules or regulations that will stop them from accessing services, but there is a lot of social taboo. If I'm an older person, should I be asking for a condom? If I'm an older person, why do you need IUD? You know, it's those kind of discussions. Um, haven't you menopause? And like, 
that's none of your business. You know, those kind of privacy, that kind of respect for individual privacy, I think it's in the life cycle missing. And and I think our health system really need to uh, redesign itself, realign itself. Um, Although post ICPD 20, um, there has been discussions around the you know different age group and needs, and um, there has been recognition of even the key populations within that as a group. And older people has been put as a key population. Um, I don't think they're marginalized. As, they're still marginalized. The marginalization is still there, but with some countries having a priority for responding to older people, I think that thing will change. I know there are a lot of old age homes opening in many countries. I know um, there are a lot of um, services being redesigned, um, old, older living places, um, dining spaces. I wish we can also step up our sexual reproductive health services for them. Then finally, the third um, disability, and we have very actively working with the uh, people who are disabled in Nepal, and 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 it is really eye-opening to see that uh, it is eye-opening to see that we are almost um, disabled blind. Um, I, I, you you go, kind of run up a stairs without even thinking that I, I could be in a condition where I can't even you know walk, and and it's things like that. So. I wish we could um, institutionalize a disability like in many developed countries, you see a ramp, irrespective of whether anybody working there is disabled or not. And I wish we, we, we are able to reach that level, but if not, um, definitely we need sexual reproductive health services with a special angle. We When we started working, we did not I mean, of, of course, we knew at a certain level, but when you kind of listen to people, it makes a difference. The the level of sexual exploitation, the level of gender-based violence among the disabled people is extremely high. Um, the clinical services are not tuned to um, uh, responding to disabled people. Um, WHO estimates about 15% of world population is having one or the other form of disability. But I don't think the health system is equipped to respond to this 15%. And particularly, I would want to bring the angle of gender, particularly for women and for diverse population. The comprehensive sexuality education, whatever is available, is not equipped to respond to their needs. Um, The services, the education services, the gatekeepers, the policymakers, none of them really acknowledge. Um, Again, I'm happy to say there are organizations who are now picking up. And the intersectionality between disability, young, diverse, old, is probably something that the system will have to respond to very quickly. And I hope it is going to be discussed in, in ICFP. Yes, very well said, Sonal. And uh, particularly regarding all these three, I feel there has to be a change in the social norms and social values also. Correct. Firstly, as correct. you said, for the young, that it's, they should be equipped with the correct information. There is a lot correct. of information, but a lot of is misinformation. or uh, 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 That is there, which is actually leading them this way and that way. 
and yeah. again about the elderly and what the so-called old age for me there is no old age till the mind is young so i agree with you there <laughs> you will never be old with so, you. No? so yes yes, yes. <laughs> so the way the society looks up just recently i saw somebody from india who had gone to i think bangkok or somewhere in thailand had posted a picture and saying that there were some uh, expats there the older people and he says look how they are behaving in india we don't do this that is the age to be religious and uh, take the name of god all the time and think of nothing else so that sort of uh, social sure. uh, uh, sort of uh, bizarre way of thinking and regarding uh, uh, disability what you have said is right and i just wanted to share a recent example uh, cns did with dhaka journalists union uh, in uh, bangladesh we did a workshop for disability and sexual and reproductive wow. health rights and they uh, the play, it was done in the auditorium of uh, dru wow. and then they did not there was no ramp there they did not realize that they were they just said there are three or four steps to climb when the uh, the persons and the speakers can come but they took note of it and they put up a ramp they said we will ensure that now is a ramp and uh, thank you for pointing that out so that change happened so true. that is true that uh, perhaps as you said that we are uh, blind to all those things so if if we open our eyes to it perhaps we will see that yeah can i quickly share one yes. example yes. yeah um the so i had gone for a visit to nepal uh, family planning association and i met a sanjana a young person who is working with um, uh, people who are disabled and and she was pointing out that you know basic small things which we take for granted as a young person i want to look pretty people who are disabled they forget that you know they are also people and it's the same feeling they would have basic thing like a bra for a young girl if i'm disabled i'm handed over without anybody asking me what size what type what uh, if if i'm not disabled i will be i will be buying my own bra and she was saying even that level of difference and it's not because i'm anything else it's only because i'm disabled and and to me it was a real eye opener that you're right i mean we really need to it did open an eye for me and you start looking any everywhere like do we have a ramp do we have the lift if it is of course not everything is possible within the resources but that mindset is something that you need to create the disability yeah. of our mindset and a way of thinking has to change that correct that has to correct. be overcome correct uh, sonal you uh, talked about uh, STI sexually transmitted infections and HIV and uh, re not recently but of late antimicrobial resistance or what we call drug resistance or AMR that is another rising issue of concern so do you see AMR a major challenge in the context of sexual and reproductive health like difficult to treat uh, STIs or untreatable STIs or resistance to drugs uh, uh, who are uh, taking uh, art yeah yeah so um in a way i mean luckily thank god art and amr are not directly connected so it's not that everybody taking art will have but you're right amr is on the rise uh, particularly for stis and, and we have uh, drug resistant gonorrhea for example Uh, and it can really or oh, uti 
um, uh, not directly an STI, but at least a same related kind of function. And, and that is creating an issue. But on the other hand, the other issue is also there is not enough R&D in developing new drugs. And so on one hand, we have this issue of AMR in STIs particularly. On the other hand, the, uh, there is so much antibiotic resistance all across the place, but there is just one antibiotic available for treatment of gonorrhea. So it, it's, it's a little imbalance. There are not enough um, R&D on sulfur drugs. Um, there is um, kind of, it is something, um, AMR is something that might kind of has fallen through the net. People have people who are working actively on HIV talk about prevention and talk about treatment and ART also, the treatment of HIV. And then sexual reproductive health people, we talk more about family planning and, you know, and then STI kind of falls in between. And, and both are giving responsibility to each other. And that's something which is dropping. And, and I think the data shows that STIs are in the right, on the rise and we will have to respond to that very, very quickly. So yes, I think it can lead to a crisis. I'm, I mean, luckily not immediately, but if we don't do something about it, it can lead to a problem, big problem. And what can we do? Anything, but what can we do to curb this drug resistance? Is it um, of drugs or what, what can be done? So, so as I say, I mean, the, the R&D hmm. um, is really necessary. Um, the, um, I, I, again, I would not say that the focus on prevention overall. And when I say prevention, HIV prevention, um, um, spacing, uh, all that discussion has kind of become very, um, there's a fatigue. And so either nobody's ready to invest funds in that and nobody comes up with the creative thoughts around that. And that is an area of concern that the health education that used to be um, the, the community education, community health education, public health education is really going down. Um, prevent, I, I know preventive and social medicine department used to come up with such creative ideas. And now the main thing they do is research, research, research. Um, not actually engaging with people, giving them education, because it was in that when people will turn around and say, really, like we had, we used to have big debate old days when um, young kids were dying of diarrhea, dehydration. And, and we would go to villages and we would say, Oh, diarrhea kills children. And the doctors would say, no, 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 no. Dehydration kills children. Diarrhea doesn't kill. Like, you know, it's public education. What should we say? What should not happen to the child? Is it diarrhea? So it's that debate gave roast rise to creative solutions. That debate would lead to community, more people-centered education. That part is missing, I think, these days, and particularly in sexual reproductive health. We, there is not enough discussion around spacing. There is not enough discussion ab about what suits me as a contraception, rather than what is given in the public um, service or what is available over the counter. Um, I go to um, chemists to get my education. I mean, come on. No, that's not the source of education. So I think we need to collectively we need to 
invest more in health education, social education, in, in prevention side of the, um, and maybe positive living, I would say, because mental health is also something we are neglecting, all of right. us. Very, very right, very right, Sonam. So uh, what is the way forward for the South Asia region to be on track on its commitments on SDGs, particularly in the context of gender equality? <laughs> Shobha, I wish uh, I could answer with enthusiasm <laughs> this. Um, even without COVID-19, we would have not met our standards, right? So it's it's really sad um, that South Asia really need to do a lot um, to achieve its SDG goal of 2030 around gender equality. Um, we, we we need to start from making changes in our policy to practice, to social thinking, to social education, to campaigns, a lot of things there. I would still want to say that there is a lot of potential in women, girls, and diverse population of the countries in South Asia. So I'm, I'm not kind of hopeless about it. Um, it's just that if the agency of these people are given opportunities, and I think there are some governments who, have, who are being progressive. Um, I would also want to say in this context, to a certain extent, traditionally Indian government has been progressive. Um, but there are governments who are also, Nepal is fantastic on, on, on that front again. Um, but we, we also have neighbor like Afghanistan, like Iran, who need to change um, thinking where educated women get more opportunities because it is one woman educated is one family educated. Remember, we used to have that traditional kind of um, discussions and all. And um, it's, I, I heard in the one of the, um, the popular Beijing women's conference that we need to empower men to support empowerment of women. And I think we probably are at that stage now um, that if, if we are serious about the SDG goals at national and subnational levels, I think the governments will have to ensure that we have appropriate policy programs and services for men and women to understand what is the empowerment of women and support it. Your message for ICFP 2022. Ha, my message. Uh -huh. yeah. um, I, I think we should, it's a no brainer to me that we have to respond to the demographic change. That is the first thing. Yeah, if, if more than half of my population is young, I have to make sure the SRHR services is young people centered. Uh, otherwise, I'm heading towards um, uh, disaster. Gender equality and gender equity is, again, a no-brainer for me. It's not only for women, this traditional thinking, but for both men, women, and diverse population. And then finally, I think reproductive autonomy is a must for women's health and rights. Um, if I'm not free to decide what happens to my body, um, I don't think we'll be able to achieve any kind of uh, development or empowerment. Forget men, women, as I said, it has to be the bodily reproductive autonomy has to be there. Thank it's you very much, Sonal. With this, we come to the close of today's conversation with Sonal Mehta, who is South Asia Regional Director at IPPF. My sincere thanks to Sonal for sharing her valuable insights 
on the status of sexual and reproductive health and rights across uh, South Asia, uh, Southeast Asia region, and also suggesting very, very, they are doable, but difficult steps to take <laughs> for the way forward. But yes, sure. that they are necessary. And we yeah. really must join hands to create a socially just and ecological sustainable world order for everyone. And this can only be a feminist world order, Sonal, according to me. Absolutely. Uh, I firmly believe in a feminist fossil fuel free future, the five Fs. Sure. So oh, nice. I like that. 